This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. I want to apologize in advance for the less than perfect sound quality you receive and deserve here on Mea Culpa. I'm currently in Miami celebrating the graduation of my son from the Herbert Business School at the University of Miami. Nevertheless, I wanted to make sure this important episode with Diane Benskoder airs on time. So please enjoy the episode and thank you for being a part of the Mea Culpa podcast movement. As we know, today's Republican Party is really, really good at one thing, fucking lying. And they do it pretty much every single day and seemingly without any remorse. They lie to the press, they lie to their constituents, maybe even lying to themselves. But as the old saying goes, a fish rots from the head down. And the de facto head of the Republican Party is still Donald J. Trump, a.k.a. the fucking liar-in-chief. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting, and yet the corporate media and Democrats slander them with the the made-up term insurrectionist. I'm sorry to say I don't hold out much hope that the January 6th hearings will change the minds of GOP voters. A recent poll in Newsweek found that half of all Republicans still believe that the January 6th rioters were simply protecting democracy. And Republican leaders, for the most part, affirmed Trump's ludicrous claims of voter fraud and border wars because it serves them to do so. The party is now defined by Trumpism. And no matter how outlandish the lie, no one ever says, just shut the fuck up, Donald, because Trump owns the MAGA voters. And polls taken just this week show that if the presidential primary were held tomorrow, he'd win by double and triple digits. Deal with this updated report from Georgia officials. Take a listen. Georgia officials have concluded that there was no widespread voter fraud by election workers who counted ballots at the State Farm Arena in November 2020. The results of this investigation indicate that Ruby Freeman and Wandria Shea Moss did not engage in ballot fraud or criminal misconduct while working at State Farm Arena on election night. A legal matter with this network and the two election workers has been resolved to the mutual satisfaction of the parties through a fair and reasonable settlement. By now we've all heard Kevin McCarthy fucking humiliating himself on tape denying that he said Trump should resign. And Mike Lee of Utah, who opposed the January 6th commission on the grounds that it was too partisan, and then, shockingly, text messages leaked proving Lee was actively working to overturn the election all along. Mitt Romney won't even endorse Mike Lee now. But as the rhinos try to imitate Trump's mob boss malfeasance, they find it's not as easy as Trump makes it look. What they're doing by saying, oh, we have to love these people and take care of these migrants and love one another. This is loving one another. Yes, we are supposed to love one another, but their definition of what love one another means uh, means destroying our laws. And no matter how egregious the lies, no one seems to care, except of course the Democrats, who are in a constant state of hair on fire because no one fucking seems to care. My father taught me how to handle my first gun. I taught my son Oliver how to do the same. I've been shooting and hunting my whole life. So when people say I won't support guns, they're dead wrong. Boom! Republican voters 
particularly in red states, consistently undermine their own best interests by replacing their support for traditional Republicans with MAGA-approved crackpots. By handing control over to lawmakers who know nothing about the law or even how the government works will have real-world consequences that will affect American life for generations. And ending abortion is just the beginning. Better watch your bag, it's a white boy summer. Whole iPhone full of white boy gunners. We all come up from the bottom like the pipes in the gutter. Got the shotgun going bump, bump, bump. But Trump knows that his voters are fine with the lies. They've galvanized by a hatred of everyone on the left and the real fear that they're being displaced by communities of color, by feminists and immigrants, and they love him for saying what they're thinking. Nearly 180,000 illegal immigrants with criminal records ordered deported from our country are tonight roaming free to threaten peaceful citizens. In their never-ending quest to own the libs, MAGA fucking asshats fairly regularly deny science and then die of COVID. Fall down conspiracy theory rabbit holes and scream bloody murder that peaceful protesters like abortion rights activists are tearing apart the very fabric of our society. It's like group psychosis, a terrifying mix of brainwashing and willful ignorance. But somehow, millions of Americans feel safe inside the MAGA tent where critical thinking has been replaced by a blind faith that dictates that you must believe in the big lie. I mean, so much so that you defend it with your life. And that's the point. It's a fucking litmus test for your faith without question and your loyalty above all else to the cult of Donald J. Trump. I mean, listen, folks, I should know. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for you. As the midterm primaries play out, Republicans seem to be in a race to see just who can appear the Trumpiest with candidate after candidate fucking kissing the ring and towing the line, trying to get a coveted Trump endorsement. In the Ohio senatorial race, the notorious never-Trumper J.D. Vance couldn't seem to get a Trump endorsement because... I, I think there's a chance, if I feel like Trump has a really good chance of winning, that I might have to hold my nose and, and vote for Hillary Clinton. Vance went from third in the polls to winning his senatorial primary. But how? First, he went on Fox News. Like a lot of uh, people, I, I criticized Trump back in 2016, and I asked folks not to judge me by based on what I, I said in 2016, because I've been very open about the fact that I, I did say those critical things, and uh, I regret them, and I regret being wrong about the guy. I think that he was a good president. And then he apparently, in between testicle pants and screaming the news, Fox superstar Tucker Carlson got on the phone with the former president and Don Jr. And according to Rolling Stone, promised Trump that Vance was with him on the issues despite the candidate's past anti-Trump comments. Then the trio exchanged some sexually salacious gossip about the head of the conservative club for growth, David McIntosh. I mean, they had a laugh and then hung up three days later Vance gets the endorsement. Are you a racist? Do you hate Mexicans? The media calls us racist for wanting to build Trump's wall. They censor us, but it doesn't change the truth. Joe Biden's open border is killing Ohioans, with more illegal drugs and more Democrat voters pouring into this country. 
This issue is personal. I nearly lost my mother to the poison coming across our border. No child should grow up an orphan. I'm J.D. Vance, and I approve this message because whatever they call us, we will put America first. McIntosh, in turn, ran ads against Vance that featured clips of a Vance lookalike calling Trump America's Hitler. After which Maggie Haberman reported that Trump had his assistant send McIntosh a three-word text, go fuck yourself. And so it goes in Trump land. I can't say I miss it. Former toady Mo Brooks lost his Trump endorsement when it appeared that he would lose his primary. But Trump has made over a hundred endorsements, ranging from marquee congressional battles to little-noticed state house posts in Pennsylvania. I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. Great guy, good man, good man, Harvard educated. Tremendous, tremendous career, and they liked him for a long time. That's like a poll. You know, when you're in television for 18 years, that's like a poll. That means people like you, but he's a he's a great guy. Crowning himself the kingmaker, Trump's ability to propel candidates over the finish line in tight primary contests is truly frightening. Great to see you, Don. Thanks very much for being here this morning. You know, President Trump has been backing a lot of D.C. outsiders first-timers as well. You've got J.D. Vance, a, a, memo, a memoirist. You've got Herschel Walker, a football legend and an entrepreneur. How is he thinking about his endorsements? Listen, I think we're looking outside of the swamp. You saw how successful my father was with his policies, with his presidency, uh, for all the things that he did for the American people. Trump wields his seal of approval to reward allies and punish his enemies. But his sway over the Republican Party seems absolute. And then came along Nebraska. Former President Trump is doubling down on his endorsement of a controversial candidate in the Nebraska gubernatorial race. That's right. He's holding a rally tonight with several of his allies to show support for Charles Herbster. Now, Herbster is a longtime friend of Mr. Trump's and chaired his Agriculture and Rural Advisory Committee during his presidency. But last month, eight women, including a Nebraska state senator, came forward to accuse Herbster of sexually assaulting them. Herbster has denied those allegations. He's the most innocent human being, Trump said, rallying with Herbster at a fairground in eastern Nebraska. He's the last person to do any of this stuff. Herbster, a bull semen salesman, and I'm not fucking kidding, folks, a bull semen salesman was reportedly schmoozing with Trump and the fucking my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, on January 6th as they hung out on the ellipse and detailed plans to overturn the election and then enjoyed watching the insurrection on television. Herbster's election was Tuesday. Hillen wins in Nebraska, and this is the establishment non-Trump candidate chosen by uh, Governor Ricketts, handpicked to run uh, in Nebraska, the winner in Nebraska, Jim Hillen. Trump-endorsed candidates this year have a 56 to 1 record. I mean, seriously, 56 to 1. There's half a dozen more primaries this week, and the race to watch Georgia the week after, where slicked up good old boy David Perdue is back after being beat in the 2020 Senate race by John Ossoff, Trump brought Perdue back from the dead to fight off his arch enemy, incumbent Governor Brian Kemp. Kemp refused to concede the 2020 race to Trump, and you know how much he hates to lose. 
there were some phone calls, but we'll get to that in a moment. Purdue has been running with the whole stolen election bit, but he's almost too smarmy to pull it off. In fact, Trump might have to live with an outcome he doesn't agree with, since Purdue is seriously trailing in both the polls and in fundraising. A recent blurb in The Hill said, his events have drawn anemic crowds and his most important supporter, Donald Trump, is downplaying Purdue's chances of winning. I'm David Purdue. I'm running for governor to make sure Stacey Abrams is never governor of Georgia. Purdue's campaign is predicting that MAGA will surge, forcing Kemp into a June runoff. But it's not looking good for Purdue. And if Kemp wins the primary, he'll almost certainly square off against Democrat and political powerhouse Stacey Abrams again in November. Kemp was Secretary of State when he last ran against Abrams for governor in 2018. And during his tenure in that role, he purged more than 1.4 million inactive voters from the rolls. Voters who just happened to be mostly low income and minority voters. Smells fishy? Fuck yeah. But rather than take the lost line down, Abrams got to work and is largely credited with turning her state blue in 2020, delivering Warmuck and Ossoff to the Senate and giving the Dems their narrow margin in Congress. As Biden said after the race, Abrams can do anything she wants. If you look at my legislative record, I have fought for education, I have fought for our children, I have fought for our teachers, and I will fight for the future. Will you join me with creating more Georgia? If you stand with me, we'll get it done. If Trump wants to prove his might anywhere, it's going to be in Georgia, where he's currently being investigated for illegal interference in the 2020 election. A special investigative grand jury was convened just last week. An analysis put out by the Brookings Institute states that the call to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, made by Mr. Trump, put the former president at substantial risk of criminal charges, including racketeering and election fraud solicitation. I'm interested to see how that turns out. But in the meantime, Trump is doing his damnedest to oust Raffensperger and install radio preacher and professional Trump ass kisser Jody Heath. Trump is like the strongman, carnival barker for the whole fucking MAGA circus, going from town to town just saying fucking shit to get you in to see the sideshow freaks. Sadly, what's inside that circus tent is way too real and very fucking scary. now for the main event. My next guest today is Diane Benskoder, a speaker, author, and cult deprogrammer who spent five years deep inside the Mooney religious cult before finding her way back to sanity. She shares her insider's perspective on how the mind of a cult member works and has developed innovative ways to think about today's most troubling conflicts and extremist movements. Her groundbreaking TED Talk, entitled How Cults Rewire Your Brain, has received over a million and a half views online and has helped to reunite countless victims with their families. Today, Diane is on the front lines, trying to save our democracy from mass manipulation, from destructive movements like the MAGA cult, 
and is teaching new ways to battle extremist mentalities and their potentially deadly consequences. You can check out more of her work on ownyourbrain.org or read her best-selling book, Shoes of a Servant, My Unconditional Devotion to a Lie. And let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Diane, I want to start by asking the broadest, I mean, I mean the broadest of possible question, and that's how Donald Trump acts as a cult leader and how the tactics that he uses maintains his hold on those around him and, truthfully, the public at large. Because I spent more than 10 years in the cult of Donald J. Trump, so I know firsthand what he did. But I'm hoping that you can do me a favor and you could share with my listeners what this means from a psychological perspective. I mean, for example, how the brain, you know, is essentially rewired. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that and glad you asked and so glad you're doing this podcast to help people understand this. It's really important to understand that the world has changed a lot in the last 50 years. Technology has been one of the key elements of that change. And what that has done is created a lot of a lot of a lot of areas where people feel insecure. And when you feel insecure in your life and your understanding of the world around you, you really seek easy answers to life's hard questions. And so it's very compelling to have someone come along and put a narrative out there that allows you to blame someone and allows you to feel self-righteous and allows you to feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. And in an era where we don't know who to trust, so many people don't know who to trust because of the internet, we get our information from so many different sources, people are relieved to feel like, okay, now I know who I can trust. Now I know who the enemy is. And so it takes place on a really primal area of, of a person. It takes place in that area where you really seek to feel better about yourself. And I'm sure that happened to you. It certainly happened to me during my time in the cult that I was in. So the answer to that is, yeah. And I've talked about um, my own personal um, journey right, uh, into the cult of Donald J. Trump, and then, of course, being excommunicated from the cult. And what I wanted to really get from you is, and then we're going to really dive deep into this, because I truly believe that the 70 million people that voted for Trump, or the 38% now of this Republican Party, that they are knee-deep into the cult, and they're having a hard time getting out. So, what, how would you describe the tactics that Donald Trump uses? I mean, or what are the tactics that he's using in order to bring people into this cult and to make themselves vulnerable for his benefit? I don't think people make themselves vulnerable. They just are. It's part of the human condition. And especially in times of social unrest and in times of a confusing world, world situation. And so people seek a leader. People want to have some, a king. People want to have an enemy. And so I think that what he did was to, first of all, he is addicted to power. Let's just get that clear. Cult leaders and authoritarian leaders are addicted to power. And 
they start seeing human beings as their assets. They want to have control over them and they want dedication to them. And that's what they get off on. And so they demand loyalty and people seek to be loyal. People want someone to trust. They, it's hard to grapple with complexity. And so he came up and he appealed to people's racism, to their feelings of insecurity and wanting easy answers to life's hard questions. He sent a message to people that felt like the, what they thought they had as a birthright, for instance, being white and male or whatever, that they had been wronged and that the government had been evil, they, that, the, that he would give them back their power. And a lot of people bought into that. And the other thing is, when you think about technology and how information is, algorithms are used to give people more of what they want to hear, it's really easy for people to validate this. So someone starts to feel better. They're like, yeah, I agree with that. They see something on the internet and they're like, yeah, I agree with that. And then they start looking further and getting more messaging and it makes them feel stronger. It makes them feel more self-righteous. It makes them feel like, yeah, I'm part of this, this mission and I'm going to, I'm going to fight this evil force out there in the world. And they start to feel better about themselves. What psychological manipulation does is it makes you feel better about yourself. Now, people that are in the close circle like you were, you're like close to the fire and you start feeling, it feels good to feel like you're close to the king, to feel like you are part, one of the most powerful people in the world. And that, that soon everyone will know who's in charge. And so it's, it's really addictive being part of something that feels like it will be the power is really addictive and people buy into it and, and feel better. Yeah. Look, you know, when, and I've talked about this again, you know, um, on this podcast kind of at length, I started working for Donald Trump in 2007. In 2005, I had a health scare that put me into the intensive care unit uh, where I blew a series of pulmonary embolists and my lungs shut down and I was, I was dying. Um, it took me about 18 months between blood thinners, Lovenox, um, and uh, in order to be able to get up and to get out and to be active again, because I've always been active my entire life. And I guess when he asked me to come to work for him, it was sort of a jump start, right, to my failed engine. Um, my wife, my children had pleaded with me on so many occasions to leave. They didn't like what I was doing. They didn't like the, um, the stories that I started to tell them about my work um, at the very beginning. And so we ended up making a deal. I won't tell you what I'm doing at work. You won't ask, and then you won't be angry at me. And so I was basically living a double life. But, you know, obviously cult leaders are not new to 
America. They're not new to the world. I mean, you know, we all know about Jim Jones and Jonestown. We know about Joseph DeMambro and Luke Jaray. We know about um, Marshall Applewhite, right? You know, I mean, that was just a weird one to those people who don't know uh, who he was. It was a mass suicide by all of his followers because there was a comet that was going to be passing either, I don't know, within... 10 million miles of Earth, they believed it was going to hit. I mean, it, the whole thing is crazy. But then there's even, you know, the most recent one that we all know about, obviously David Koresh, right? But uh, Keith Rainier uh, from Nixium. I was, interestingly enough, I was watching yesterday, there's a documentary on um, Nixium. And I was, you know, it's um, obviously the main character there is Catherine Oxenberg. But there's also uh, Allison Mack, who was the actress from Smallville and so on. Then you had the Bronfman, you know, children. I mean, this guy really knew what he was doing. How do you compare the sickness that these individuals have, that they managed to bring people into their cult to do crazy shit like, you know, getting his initials branded, you know, into, you know, into their skin um, to the point where there was a multitude, according to the documentary, of you know naked women in the room at the same time, all throwing up from the smell of the burnt skin. I mean, who allows something like that? Um, and I often wonder if Trump actually became that kind of a cult leader. How many people would actually follow him? Well, I was very involved with Nexium. I actually helped uh, India, Catherine's daughter, lead. Right? And um, got to know a lot of the people involved in that group and understand quite deeply why they did this. There were mostly young, beautiful women that dedicated themselves and got these, um, got seared with his initials. And it was because they really bought into the idea that this was the right way to do it, that this would make them better people, that that he really was the smartest man on the earth. And they, what you do, what the trade-off is when you join a cult or buy into extremist mentality is that you trade your identity in for easy answers, for a way to feel better, for a way to feel powerful. And you don't want to be, it doesn't matter how crazy the doctrine is. What matters is that you feel better now and that you feel like your life has meaning and that you're on the right track. And it's once you've dedicated yourself to it and it's become your identity, it's extremely hard to leave. And you don't want to hear anything that contradicts it. And even if you hear something that contradicts it, there's always a way to counter it within the group. They'll tell, give you some reason that lets you continue to believe because you don't want to, you're not thinking rationally. It doesn't happen on the rational thought process place. It happens on the psychological place. It happens because it makes you feel more powerful. And yes, I think, I mean, didn't you, weren't you ready to take a bullet for this man? And I probably, and, and, and honestly, I would have, except, except for one thing. If he was the guy pulling the trigger, 
right? How many times, you know, do we have, you know, conversations with, you know, myself uh, or others that if somebody, you know, would breach the perimeter or do something, we were all just going straight in, right? You know, um, you know, we were going to protect the king. And while it sounds stupid and listening to myself say it, I feel like a freaking moron, right? You know, but I was knee deep into the shit cult of Donald J. Trump and I acknowledge it and I'm embarrassed about it. I'm just trying to figure out with your expertise, how do we deprogram these 70 million morons? And this, the funny thing, I shouldn't call them morons because, you know, it's for, not that it's not nice because I don't particularly care, right? Um, it's more I was in one of those cults, so technically I'm calling myself a moron, which I do all the time. But I'm trying to, instead of insulting anybody, I'm trying to figure out how do we deprogram these 70 million people. And some of the people that I speak to are incredibly educated, well, well educated. I mean, for example, the other day I was walking on the street, I bumped into a friend of mine. He was a former major player over at Goldman Sachs, highly, highly educated, Ivy League school, the whole nine yards, extremely successful. And he, he's honestly, when, the way he was talking about Trump, I looked at him and I said to him, holy shit, you're, you're like knee deep into the cult of Donald Trump. I don't even know how that happens considering, what have you met him once? Maybe, would you take a 10 second photo with him? What is it? Yes, I get it. Financially, he's beneficial to you. But the stuff that's coming out of your mouth isn't just about finances. It's like you believe everything that this man says, yet you know, you know for a fact, I don't care if you watch Fox, only Fox News or Newsmax or OAN. You know that the man is a fund fundamentally flawed character who lies like you breathe. So what are you saying to me? You think you know him better than me? You're telling me that everything the man says is right? Yeah, and that's why your voice is so important, Michael, because formers, are, they have more credibility than anyone to people who are knee-deep in considering leaving. And so I really appreciate that you're able to call yourself a moron, but that's you not. Obviously, you're a highly intelligent person, I believed that Sunday. No, Diane, Di Diane, I'm going to just I am a moron. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I am too, because I believed that Sun Myung Moon was the second coming of Christ. And I would have done anything for him because I really, really did believe that. And I prayed on the steps of the Capitol that Nixon would not be impeached. And that I joined, the reason I was looking for, what I was looking for was a way to stop the Vietnam War. I was, you know, a teenager when I joined. And I really thought that I was a disciple of Christ. And, and once you believe that, I believed it all the way up to coming to understand that I had been manipulated, that, that I'd been what I was, that term was brainwashing that was used back then. And I was deprogrammed. That's a term that was used back then. It's, but yes, deprogramming. How do we do that? Well, here's the thing. Psychological manipulation is a public health issue. And it's mole whacking until we create a public health response to it. That is how it is. And now 
I've been speaking about that and trying to create solutions, scalable solutions through my nonprofit for that, building workshops to teach loved ones how to have more effective conversations with their loved ones that have fallen down the rabbit hole. And it works. What works is that when people realize they've been lied to, when they realize they've been lied to at a really deep level, they've been taken advantage of on a psychological level. That is what people need to understand. And so we need to get to that tipping point in society where more people than not are resilient to that kind of manipulation. They recognize the con when they see it. Yeah, but we're, not. We, we're, but we're not. But we're not. We're that's near that. We're nowhere near that. it. Yeah, I mean, when you start seeing Trump successful in 22 out of the 22 primaries that he's backing, you know, that's not a joke. These people are still showing up. Okay, not to the same extent, but they're still showing up to these rallies to see the liar in chief get up there and spew more misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. And the crazy thing, when I was at the Trump organization working for him and tasked like so many of the other people that were working there, lawyers and non-lawyers, when you accomplished something and he would never tell you to your face, great job, that was a rarity, but he would say it to other people and they, of course, would come back and tell you, it was as if the light, you know, the light of God came down onto you and you felt this warmth, this, this incredible sense of achievement and all you wanted to do is to get that light back. Right. And it's it was crazy. And so people used to fall over, myself included, fall over each other, trying to ensure that we accomplished something that in Donald Trump's mind was great so that he would then again pass the light on to you. It's truly, you know, going again, going back in time. I feel so stupid saying it, but it's the truth. But, you know, you brought something up about yourself and your writings and your lectures. And I have a question that I want to ask you on that, because You've obviously, you've written and you've lectured in the past that extremism acts like a disease or a virus. Now, correct me if I get this wrong, as I'm definitely, you know, not a scientist or a psychologist, but, and I'm going to quote something here, extremist groups spread their ideas and thought patterns or memes first described by evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins in the 1970s through slogans, through catchphrases and icons, right? Does this ring a bell on who I'm going to? A viral memic uh, infection marks the successful input of a meme in a person's mind. And infected individuals believe that if they follow their group, everything wrong with the world will be fixed. The group sees any course of action to subdue non-followers, them, as rational and necessary, an outlook that makes extremist groups especially dangerous. If you do me a favor, because obviously when we start talking about patterns and memes and slogans and catchphrases, right? I mean, who's the king of catchphrases other than Donald Trump? We could go through them all if you'd like. If you do me the favor, unpack from my listeners how this manifests with a group like QAnon. Thought-terminating cliches are, if you wrap your mind around that concept, what is a thought-terminating cliche? You don't have to have a depth of knowledge to use a, a catchphrase or something that is easily repeatable 
and makes you feel like you're on the right side of history, makes you feel like you're on the right side of, of what's going on in society. And so a lot of people who don't have a, a depth of knowledge about sociology and politics and, and what's really going on in the world can use these catchphrases and feel good about themselves and feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And so that's why they're used so much. Thought, the thing is about thought control or, or what Robert Lifton in his book, Thought Control and the Psychology of Totalism talked about was a way to control a person's environment, their milieu, more than just their, their environment uh, physically, but the way they see the world, the way they perceive things, how they see themselves in the world. And if you can control a person's view of themselves and view of the world, then you can weaponize them. And that's ultimately what an authoritarian leader or a cult leader wants to do. They want people who are ready to give their life or take life for others. What Lifton called the dispensing of existence is the most extreme form of psychological manipulation. At that point, people are ready to march on the Capitol take a bullet or, you know, kill for the sake of what they believe is right. And so these ideas are self-perpetuating. Thought, psychological manipulation is self-perpetuating. And by that, I mean that once you start feeling good about yourself because you're part of this group and now it all makes sense, now I know who the enemy is, now I know who to blame for the fact that my life isn't going quite like I thought it would, then you want to share it with others. You want to spread it. And so you start pushing this stuff out to your friends and colleagues and everyone you know, and you start repeating these catchphrases so that you can continue to feel good. That's what you did. That's what I did. That's what people do once they feel better is they want to keep feeling better and they want to spread this and make sure that it takes over the world so they can be on top. And that's why a lot of these so a lot of this messaging that has to do with us versus them and everything's going to collapse and be rebuilt that is, is runs throughout a lot of the conspiracy theories is that people feel like they want to be on top. And this is going to give them a chance. When society falls apart and they're loyal to the king, they will be on top. They'll be part of the chosen people. I thought I was a disciple of Christ. I thought that my ancestors and descendants would look up to me because mm-hmm. I was the Messiah's disciple, you know? Well, do me a favor then. So let me just go back to the end of it. How, what about a group like QAnon? Because, you know, they also use catchphrases. They use these buzzwords, right? Like the whole issue of critical race theory, winning the language war, right? grooming predators you know pedophile cabal you know i i mean you know they they have created catchphrases that specifically apply to this QAnon theory which of course doesn't exist but yet there is a massive number of people in this country substantially more than i ever thought that actually believe in this they and they believe yeah. that nancy pelosi is the is the queen. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Yeah, it is crazy stuff. And the thing is, though, it's 
you don't have to think hard. You don't have to grapple with complexity. All you have to do is repeat these phrases in order to be part of the in crowd, in order to be part of, you know, close to the king, in order to feel more powerful about yourself. And a lot of the people who are coming to my organization for help, they talk about the fact that their loved one, and sometimes it's like their elderly father, a lot of times it is, that, that is spends now all their time in front of the computer, di- you know, taking this stuff in and getting more and more evidence that this is true. You know, they go seek evidence. The algorithm pushes stuff at them. It's not that hard to make information and to use like deep fake stuff to create stuff that looks right and to convince people that this is how the world is. And, and so it's not that hard to buy into it. And it's not that hard for people to repeat these phrases and they don't have to do hard work to do it. Many of the people who are coming to me for help, coming to my organization for help, who have family members that are in QAnon and other parts of this, anti-vaxxers and such, they hardly recognize their loved one. All their loved one does is repeat these catchphrases. And, and they, when they try to bring them evidence to the contrary, they, just, they can easily go to the Internet and find something to counter that. It's so easy to counter it with these lies, this package of lies. And, be, and they don't want it to be not true. They want it to be true because now their dignity and pride is wrapped up into it. Right. Okay. So, for example, right, um, I saw there was a guy, his name is Ron Dreher, right? And he's with the American Conservatives. So what did he do? He decided to create another catchphrase for you know this organization because they are anti-LGBTQ. And so... Now with this whole fight going on with Ron DeSantis in Florida, what's the new catchphrase, the new slogan there in Florida? Disney goes groomer, right? That there's some sort of an issue where Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse or Goofy and Pluto, that they're all, I don't know, that we're trying to somehow convert their children. I mean, look, to me, I just don't, I just don't get it. Right. It's it just doesn't make any sense. I I don't see how you're going to take a place like Disneyland, right? The the most fabulous place on earth, right? And you're going to turn it into some sort of a corrupted, sexually deviant, kabbalistic, you know, place using Cinderella's castle as you know, headquarters for, you know, all of this nefarious stuff in their mind. I mean, it's, again, to me, I just, I don't get it. And it doesn't matter whether you're an Ivy League student or you went to your local community college or you didn't go to school at all. This is just so fundamentally foolish. It's so, it's so stupid on its face that it's hard to imagine that people actually believe this. Again, it's not about, it's, it doesn't happen on the intellectual level. It happens on the psychological level. And once it has become your identity, once you have told your family and your friends and you've been out there on Facebook spouting this stuff, then you have to stay in those shoes. You have to stay in that, in that identity no matter how bizarre it gets because otherwise you have to admit that you were wrong about the whole thing. 
I, I, I admit I'm wrong. I admit I'm wrong yeah, on every <laughs> single mea culpa. I've done it on yeah. television, in the press. I mean, it's not that hard to admit that you're wrong. You know, you go ahead and you accuse somebody of, you know, taking the, the keys to your car, right? And so, but they're actually in your pocket. Oh, is it so wrong to say, hey, I apologize. You're right. You didn't. You took your keys, not mine. Blah, blah, blah. Or any other one of the billion reasons why people apologize. So you apologize. I got it wrong. I mean, is it so hard? Now, mind you, media is as bad as some of these people. They make mistakes. They don't, they don't apologize. They don't correct the record. It's just, you know, move on. I, I don't know. Is this a move on situation? Or is this really something we have to dig deep into? And we have to figure out how to deprogram these people. Because we're fighting an uphill battle against people who do not. They're building a wall, right? Talk about catchphrases, right? Let's use that. The catchphrase of Donald. We all know, every single one of us, Republican, Democrat, independent. We all know that the United States has an immigration policy issue. We've had it for the last 60 years, right? It's not any different today. It's still problematic. So what does Donald Trump do? He comes out and he says, I'm a builder. And I know, quite frankly, I know exactly what to do. We're going to build a wall. It's going to be a big, beautiful wall. It's going to be the most beautiful wall you've ever seen. And I'm a builder, so I know how to build, right? And who's going to pay for it? Not the United States. And everybody starts screaming together, right? It's almost like a concert when the, when the, when the crowd starts stomping their feet or clapping to a beat. Mexico. Well, we all know that that was a lie. And it goes right back to the entire question. How do we, how do we deprogram this? Yeah. Well, and good job on, on, the, <laughs> on imitating him. But... Um... You know, you would not have said I'm wrong on the day that you that light was shed on you when he was giving you accolades for something that you did right when he doesn't ever do that. That would not have been the day that you said I'm wrong about all this. You were deep knee deep then. And so That's true. Let me, yeah. And so let me just take you to 101 here. So family comes to me. Loved one is knee deep in QAnon. And that's all they talk about now. So the first step that we do to help them in the deprogramming process is to help them understand how they've been taken advantage of. Help them really look at this person that they love and why was it so compelling to them? Why did they want this needed to be true? What are they getting out of it being true? How does it make them feel better about themselves? to get to that point where they have a little more empathy for the person and they don't think, because it's so hard to just hate the things they're saying and want to tell them how stupid they are. And that just plain doesn't work. You have to meet them where they are to help them out. And so you have to understand why it's so compelling to them, what they're getting out of it. And then you have to figure out how you're going to have that hard conversation with them to help them understand that they've been taken advantage of and lied to. But first, you have to be there with them in a place where they can hear you. And so you have to understand that they're still that good person. They're still your dad that took you fishing and that you love. They, you know, and that has good values at their core. You have to get to that place and meet them there and then be able to start chipping away at helping them understand. So how are we going to deprogram 
so many people, thousands of people that have fallen prey to this stuff. It has to happen, I think, through the loved ones and through teaching them about how to do this. And then we have to have a public health approach, an education approach to teach people how to be resilient to this, how to recognize this kind of a con, especially when you're not feeling good about yourself, how to recognize when that's when they'll take advantage of you. I just yesterday talked to this woman who thought um, the, a movie star was in love with her that was approaching her on Twitter and then was asking her for money. She was ready to, to run up all, she was a like 70 year old woman ready to run up all her charge cards to pay because there was some contract that, that had to be paid to his publicist in order for him to be able to meet her in person. And she was ready to pay $50,000 for this crazy, but I was able to talk with her in a matter of a couple hours and help her understand the con, and now she's blocked him. So, Diane, can I ask you a question then? Do you think that the pandemic and the social isolation caused by the lockdowns and the need to isolate is contributing to these beliefs uh, flourishing? Yes, absolutely. Because any time our psychological pain is greater, any time we feel that primal need for safety, it, then that need to feel better is, is just so strong. And so the pandemic was extremely scary. It still is. And, you know, and also the lack of knowing who to trust because of the Internet and new ways to get news sources is confusing. And so people are really scared. And society has changed so much in the last 50 years, you know, civil rights issues and things. A lot of people feel left behind and like their core values they grew up on are being threatened. And when you feel threatened, it's very primal and you need to feel better about yourself. You need something to believe in. And most importantly, you need someone to blame. And that's what's throughout all of this messaging is that they're the enemy and we have to stop them, the evil force, whether it's, you know, crazy like reptilian people that are you know, taking over or, or that there's these chips in the, in the, that are in the, in the shots for the virus, you know, all of these things sound so crazy on the face, but when you're in that primal place and you feel threatened, you really want someone to blame and you want a story that you can tell that makes, that is going to explain this crazy world we live in. Yeah. So then this leads me to another question, a second question on that, which delves into the hardcore MAGA supporter, right? Because Joe Biden the other day turned around and said that MAGA could be, you know, one of the most significant internal, you know, domestic terrorist groups in the country. This is the 33% of Trump's base who no matter what the guy does, I mean, he could, as he stated, shoot someone in the head on Fifth Avenue, will continue to follow this man no matter what. How does that cult hold translate to those who have no personal connection to the cult leader, but look to Trump as some figure of omnipotent power? Because they want a king. They want to feel safe. They want to feel self-righteous. They want to feel like they understand what's going on in the world. They're not really dedicated just to him. They're dedicated to feeling that self-righteousness, 
They're, you know, they're dedicated to feeling like they are right. People want to be right. They, they want someone to blame. And so once they wrap their self around that and start proclaiming it publicly, then they've dug their heels in. And then now they're not only dealing with the fact that they feel better, but that they would have to deal with shame if they were to even let some question of whether or not they're right come in. They don't want to hear anything that would make them question the fact that they're right, especially if they've come out publicly with their believing this stuff. Yeah, but let's not forget then all of these January 6th insurrectionists, you know, they all turn around and talk about how they stormed the Capitol because Donald told them to go to the Capitol and to, you know, and to fight, fight like hell. Again, catchphrases, slogans. I mean, that's the kind of shit that you would see on the back of a pickup truck, right? Fight, fight like hell, or you're going to lose your country. I mean, you know, yeah. he, he ran straight to the nationalism, right? And America, you know, we're many things, but we're not like other countries where we're really nationalistic. I mean, because so many people are from so many various different countries. Like my father was born in Poland, right? My grandmother is from Argentina, Right. My great grandpa was from Italy. I mean, you know, you start turning around and, you know, I'm not, you know, it, this isn't like Israel where it's a very nationalistic, you know, or or now as we see Russia. So I just don't understand. Now they're coming out and somehow or another, I hate to say it. I think the court system is a real rude awakening that deprograms you really kind of instantly when your freedom, your reality gets real gets checked real fast right my hope is that we're not going to see mass incarceration of 70 million americans simply because they voted for trump i'm talking about these fringe maga lunatics that are willing to go ahead and try to kidnap the governor of michigan um whitmer right potentially execute her simply because they fundamentally don't agree with her because she doesn't agree with Donald Trump. I mean, it's a very circular, right, scenario that's going on here, but it's demented. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, think about Hitler youth. Were they right. born evil? No, they were just young people that got caught up in this and really thought they were fighting for what was right and really thought that Jews were evil. And that the world would probably be better if they didn't exist. Now, Marjorie the, Taylor Greene thinks the same thing. White supremacy should, you know, people feel like this really is the truth, why people should have power. And they really believe that. And so, <laughs> you know, you can convince people and they feel really, start feeling really powerful and strong and willing to die for this cause for their people. People feel, it's like my team, you know, you, people get so upset about when, they're, when their football team wins or loses. You know, you get into it and it's that same kind of mentality, like we're the winners. Right. And, and people get caught up in that, and it feels really good. So let me ask you this then, because you've said that you could deprogram MAGA believers, but it's not easy. Those are your words. How yeah. so? It's always the same thing. You know, They just need to understand that they've been lied to and taken advantage of. They need some basic understanding of how psychological manipulation works in whatever words it can be expressed, in whatever ways they can understand so that they can see the trickery behind it. No one wants to play the fool. No one wants to be tricked on this level and be taken advantage of on this really sacred place where their core values lie, you know? 
but that's what's going on and that's that's what's being taken advantage of and and the fact that the pandemic and social unrest are there in society and we're facing global you know destruction with global warming all of these things create a real primal need for safety and so suddenly you're on this team that's going to change the world and just you need to talk meet them in a place where they can hear and you need to help them understand they've been taken advantage of that's the only way out that i know okay so then how do you do this on a mass scale because there's only one there's only one diane and you can't go to each and every one of these 38 million 30 million people and have a one-on-one and try to understand their lives and to break it down for them hey let's get down to the nitty-gritty this is a lie this is a lie this is a lie first of all they're not going to believe you as you know they fight in order to keep that you know to, to keep that core belief rock solid because donald told them to because you know david koresh told them to because keith rainier told them to so you know that's why getting them out of that cult is so hard what i'm trying to do with this movement and i call mea culpa not just a podcast i call it a movement and i do these instagram lives and i do these now uh, on youtube these michael cohen react videos and you know we play these also on youtube so that you can actually visually see you know my myself with the guest we need to figure out how to do this on a much larger scale almost like in a marvel movie where we drop some sort of a green gas that you know lands on or it gets breathed by 10 million people at a clip and all of a sudden they wake the fuck up and they're like whoa you're right Nancy Pelosi is not eating young children and Pizzagate wasn't real. And, and, you know, the Democratic Party are not a bunch of pedophile, you know, um, lunatics running around. I mean, you know, that's what we kind of need. But of course, you know, I say it in jest, but I'm really not I'm really not joking when I say there's only one of you, because here's really my question for you. Most listeners, right, you know, have a friend a loved one, or someone that they know who has fallen down that garbage rabbit hole of QAnon. And families are being destroyed as husbands, wives, sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins fall sway to these beliefs. My question, again, and I, I, I say it, it's like I feel like I'm repeating myself, is how? What is the process in which a perfectly rational person begins to believe in that kind of preposterous conspiracy? I mean, because unlike other cults, there is no one person who is grooming the victim. Rather, you know, it's a hive mind on the, you know, of the internet. And if you would discuss this with me, and if you could walk me through what it takes to bring somebody out, we would all very much appreciate it. How to do this at scale is such an important question. And it's what I've been thinking about for so many years and especially recently. And what I do, what I have done to help people exit cults is not that mysterious. Yes, it's it's a little complex and it, it takes some knowledge and there's an art and a skill to it. But the thing is it can be taught and it's not that hard to teach. It's really just teaching people how to understand what psychological manipulation is, how to understand 
good communication techniques, effective communication techniques, and then how to plan for that difficult conversation, how to know when to, when to push, when to pull back that art form. And so what we're doing is creating workshops for loved ones. It's, it's eight sessions. They're 90 minutes each for loved ones to teach them how to have these conversations. They, that's a way to scale. And so, of course, we need funding to be able to do this and hire staff and, and do this at scale, have many, many of these workshops. But it it's, can be learned. It's not, there's not some, I can't give you a catchphrase to teach so that you can say these words and that will deprogram someone because what it takes is building trust with that person so that you can have this difficult conversation with them. It, when I was deprogrammed, I resisted for a long time and I pushed all arguments away until she started making sense and talking about what psychological manipulation is. Lifton's work on thought reform and the psychology of totalism, chapter 22 of his book, going through that. And at that point, it was like there was this little voice in the back of my head that said, what if this is a lie? And it got louder and louder and louder until it felt like glass breaking around me and my whole world shattered. And I knew that, oh, my God, he's not the Messiah. And which meant all of that crap that I believed was a lie. And it was painful, the most painful moment of my life, I would say, other yep. than maybe my mom dying. Yep. But and because my entire identity came crashing down, it becomes your identity. You see, and that's what you're dealing with. But the funny thing with me is it was not my it was not my total identity right i had i had a real serious life i had done very well for myself and i was well regarded you know by my peers by the community by you know by people in general um somewhere along the line i don't know whether this enhanced my identity in my mind or something like that that's the part i still wrestle with today but i actually have a question because once again you know it's okay when you're talking about the one-on-one with the Indi- you know with with India, right? That I could understand. It's much easier obviously to deprogram someone when you have them in your clutches. Though I saw Karen Oxenberg turn around and say her biggest fear was that he was going to go run back, that she was going to run back, you know, to Rainier, and especially she was concerned that he was going to, you know, have everybody kill themselves or poison themselves. So my question my question to you is what was the toughest case that you've had in terms of bringing someone back from their clutches? Other than myself? Um, you know, the toughest, I think they're all tough. It, it, I don't know what the toughest was. Everyone who's convinced 100% in something, it's really tough to get through. And so it always comes back to creating trust with the person, having them be be willing to listen to you. That's why formers are so important. That's why someone might listen to you because you were there. Someone might listen to me because I was there. And the more people that come out and go public with the fact that they are realize they've been conned, the better, because that helps spread the word that it's okay to question this. Look at this person that is so much like me found a way out and maybe it'd be okay to question it. People don't want to believe a bunch of stuff that seems crazy, but once you're in, you just, you don't want to let go of it because that would mean 
then who am I? Then what do I believe? If I don't believe this, at least I feel like I, this makes this is something that makes me feel better. If I, don't I don't know this. I have yeah, to I go back to complexity. Then I have to go back to not knowing what's right and true. And I, I don't know. Turn to your religion. Turn to your God. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it, doesn't it make total sense, right? So if you're concerned about who am I, what am I, what do I believe in? I don't know. Read the Bible, read the New Testament, read the, read the Quran, right? Read, I don't know, read Scientology for all I care. You know, it doesn't make a difference. You know, join, join the, the Mormon tabernacle. I don't know, but believe in something that's not this anti-everything. We hate LGBTQ. We hate Democrats. We hate pedophiles, which we do. But, you know, we, we hate people that are cannibals, that eat other people in order to stay young. Somehow they don't seem to be staying young. They're getting older like the rest of us. But, you know, find something that you could attach yourself to. Is that sort of the message that you know, that y you give to these people as you deprogram them out of the cult? Well, actually, I would suggest to them that they have to grapple with complexity, that they that their easy answers to life's hard questions typically have some craziness in it, you know, typically have some things embedded in easy answers that are put there to make people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, like they have an easy answer, like they have an explanation for this complex world we live in for their life. And so they have to find that. They have to grapple with it. But hopefully once they understand how psychological manipulation works, that won't happen to them again. They won't buy in to somebody trying to take advantage of them on a psychological level. That's the piece I care about. I don't care what people believe. People can believe the most crazy things possible, but are they being taken advantage of on a psychological level? That's the question I want them to ask themselves. I don't, not what they believe or how crazy it is. Right, but Diane, we're in a really weird, weird place right now. And I'm going to sort of give you the distinction of, we'll call it Donald Trump, MAGA, QAnon. I put them into one category and then all of the other cult leaders that, like I've mentioned, we can talk about, you know, Keith Rainier, how many people were involved in uh, Nixium? 50? 60? No, there were much Something more than like that. that? Okay, 100? Like a thousand, but yeah. Okay, even, even a thousand. Jim Jones, the same thing. Right. Let's say, you know, close to a thousand. You talk about, you know, Luke Jure and so on, you know, 150, whatever, you know, um, you know uh, Asahara, the same thing. You know, you're talking about small numbers. When you hit this MAGA bullshit, you're not talking about thousands. You're talking about millions and many millions. I mean, after you've seen that this man is fundamentally flawed from the feet to the top of his head, he is a flawed human being and 70 million people will vote for you. That's a real problem. And again, how we deprogram 70 million people in one fell swoop, especially as we're now approaching midterm elections, I don't really have the answer for that one. But I want to move on for a quick second and ask you this, because for many folks, their first encounter with QAnon happens on social media, as you stated, on Instagram and TikTok uh, pages um, of so-called 
influencers, right? That's a whole nother thing. Many of whom subscribe to radical anti-vaccine beliefs. Now, many of these folks are even considered liberal or what they call, you know, new age in their beliefs. They're yoga teachers, they're healers, or, you know, what have you. It doesn't matter. These are people that they look up to. But they have gone down that rabbit hole that you're talking about of disinformation that starts like with vaccines and then leads to QAnon. So I'm curious if you found this to be true, as many of these folks are outside of what you would consider the typical MAGA follower or Trump supporter. Yeah, it's all a continuum. People buy into it in various ways. But the central messaging that's being put out has to do with us versus them. It has to do with we're mm-hmm. the right ones, they're the wrong ones. And so it's it's the what it's being set up for is like civil war. What's being set up for is to take over, to be king forever. Not to this is not about getting votes in a democratic way and arguing um, points, political differences and what people care about. This is trying to get people on his side and to buy into the fact that there's a them that's totally evil and we've got to wipe them out. And so that's the goal of this. And what you're talking about, I think, is what I started with. This is a public health problem. And so direct services is one part of a public health approach, helping the people that are directly affected right now. So yeah, the workshops, working through family members, trying to talk to as many people as possible out of this. You know, that's that's the direct services approach. The educational approach is to have the same information packaged so that influencers can easily use their influence and their platform to help people understand what's going on. And so that's really important too, education. If you think about a public health approach to tobacco, for instance, It's hard to find someone who doesn't understand that tobacco causes cancer. Now, that's because there was a public health approach. You have to look at, that's one pillar, educational pillar, working with influencers, direct services, that's another pillar. And then another pillar is, you know, political policy type stuff, doing research and creating public policy that would put some some, uh, protection around social media so that these, these algorithms need to be transparent so that the public can see how they're being taken advantage of by these algorithms. So there's, you have to attack on all, le- on all levels of a public health approach. I, I, I totally agree with you. There's only one problem. Could you imagine trying to work this into a school curriculum, seeing what's going on within the school boards where they're banning books now because... Um, it offends somebody that someone has two moms or two dads or that, you know, the white boy's best friend is a black boy or an Indian boy. That these the book 1984. Right. I mean, where they're they're banning stuff just as they did in, in the book. So could you imagine the outrage that this would create by the same people that you're trying to deprogram. The sad thing is that people who are trying to deprogram are the same people who are stopping the deprogramming because they happen to now sit in positions 
of power, where whether it's a school board or a city council or what have you. I mean, look at what's going on in our House of Representatives, in our Senate, throughout the entire Congress. When you see people standing up, banging their hands, basically calling their colleague on the other side of the aisle a pedophile, a a cabal, you know, a, a cabalistic, you know, um, death cult. You know, I mean, this is this is crazy stuff. How do you deprogram that moron? Right? It's I just don't again, I have no choice but to call the it's so stupid fundamentally as you sit and you listen to it. Pizzagate, one of the dumbest things. I mean, this is shit that you would, you know, see on like, you know, one of these programs, these miniseries, you know, that's just wackadoodle and crazy. Um, I mean it just doesn't make any sense, and I wrestle with it all the time as I watch these individuals up there on the podium saying things that just, to me, demonstrate that they are knee-deep into the cult. I mean, Mitch, Mitch McCarthy, I mean, you know, M- McCarthy, I mean, for God's sakes, you know, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, for God's sakes, Lauren Boebert, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I mean, you know... Th- Ted Cruz, I mean, these are these are people who are in position of great power and authority. I mean, even Marsha Blackburn. You know, the funny thing is I talk about Marsha all the time. Trump didn't want her anywhere near the office. And every now and then she would come to visit me in the office. I would bring her in. And afterwards he would say things like, why do you bring her in? And I said, she came from Tennessee. She's a member of Congress. She's a big fan of yours. Really? Uh, Oh, okay. And then she was allowed to come in and say hello. Not too long, but she could come in and say hello. Because she's coming to kiss the ring. You remember that funny statement, that catchphrase, right? Created by me, thank you very little. Right? I mean, you know, they all came to kiss the ring. And that's what they did. And it's like no different than going and kissing the ring of, you know, of Moon. Right? It's the same thing. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I wrestle with hope myself. I, I mean, I'm building a solution as best I can, as fast as I can. And, and I am scared. We're about to lose democracy worldwide. It's, it's a real thing. It's happening. And, and, and I think they're winning, you know? I and do it's too. scary. Yep. It's scary. And we have to work as fast and as hard as we can to save democracy and on every, in every way that we can. It, so, it's, it's it's really scary. It is. So, Diane, look, we're almost over with the hour. I have one last question. It goes by fast on mea culpa. You've said in prior interviews that QAnon's fall prognostications, the fact that none of their predictions, that none of their predictions came true, doesn't mean that the danger is over. And it's true. Look back and you'll see all of their prognostications have been disproven, right? I mean, I saw one the other day that... Um, Trump is still president, John F. Kennedy is alive, and John F. Kennedy Jr. is actually the vice president. I mean, you know, and this guy absolutely believed it. Now, that they can't just flip a switch, and that's what I would love, and go back to their life unaffected. Extrapolate that to the hundreds of thousands of distraught former acolytes, and we may be facing the next public health crisis. Now, Ben Scoder warns, one that could lead to the rise of a new conspiracy theories and even more violence. People are focusing on the problem of QAnon, but not on the solution, you know, she said. 
we're in the forest is on fire kind of a situation. If you would, can you unpack this for my listeners, what you mean here? What I mean is that, you know, the Holocaust happened. That really did happen. It's an atrocity that is unthinkable, but it happened. And genocides happen. Why do we think that this country can't be taken over by an authoritarian leader and lose democracy forever for our children? Why do we think that won't happen? It, it can happen, and it is happening. And until we can get to the point where enough people understand how it's happening, it will continue to happen throughout history of our future. And so it's an urgency that we all have to take very seriously right now. And we have to do everything in whatever areas we work in to stop this from happening. And, and we have to remember that there is not an us and a them. Those them that we think of, yes, there's people who are, are the Hitler youth that would walk people into gas chambers in that are representing our, our constituents in states. There are, there are people that are, are willing to do anything right now for power because they are addicted to power and that is all they want is power. And so we have to do everything we can to shed a light on what's really going on here, that we are about to lose democracy and that we could have a civil war. We could have something that resembles the Holocaust or genocide. We have to ring the bell everywhere. You know, look, I've mentioned this on this show before. My father went through the Holocaust. My father was born in Bochnia, Poland, which is uh, maybe 15 kilometers from Krakow. And, you know, when I, sp when I was speaking with him not too long ago, he said roughly the same thing that you did, which is our democracy is in peril because when he was a young boy, he never thought that Nazis were going to come. They were going to show up to the house. They were going to round up his family, kill his, kill his, you know, relatives. And, you know, and only by good grace that, you know, he, that he and his, you know, mom, dad, and sister were, you know, able to, sisters were able to survive, you know, um, the, you know, the war because they were able to run up into the mountains and, you know, it took years. And they, I mean, it's, it's a long story. Um, but yeah, it's real. And, you never believe that something like that could possibly happen because it's just the ugliest thing that you could imagine. Like what's going on in Ukraine right now. It's the ugliest thing that you can imagine. Um, this genocide, it's, it's like the Armenian genocide. It's just the ugliest thing that you could possibly imagine. So you don't want to believe it. But then when it's at your doorstep and it's sitting there, now you got to contend with it. And then those of us that have been out there promoting this, you know, this truth and promoting, um, you know, the strength of our Constitution and the importance of the United States as the democratic power of the world. Once that's gone, it's not just the United States that's in trouble and doomed. It's the whole world. Well, Diane, let me thank you for joining me on Mea Culpa. Thank you for your insight. Um, and we just have to keep working. Yes, we do. We really have to work. We have to work hard and we have to work now. And thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. And now for today's mea culpa. As my conversation with Diane Benskoder illustrates, we're living through some extremely sobering times where some scared people take comfort in cult communities and lose their fucking minds. With the election looming on the horizon and our democracy on the brink, the volume of the outrage machine is going to crank up to a fevered pitch. 
I understand if your first impulse is to stick your head under the pillow and wait till it all blows over. But honestly, I doubt it's going to blow over anytime soon. So consider alternatives, like the path that Stacey Abrams has taken, rather than just becoming a victim of defeat. Stacy became a fucking game changer, and you better know that they come at her with everything they've got. And yet, as someone said, and I forgot who it was, she persisted. It's because of activists and ethical judges that lopsided redistricting maps are being rejected in red states like Kansas and North Carolina, like Wisconsin and elsewhere. It's also judges who saved the country the last time someone schemed to overthrow the government and it may come down to judges if it happens again in the future. Take heart in the small stuff, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here folks, but Democrats and Republicans all better wake the fuck up before we lose our country. The world has seen this sort of thing before, we know where it leads. Nobody really gets away clean when we go to war, whether it's with each other here at home or with a foreign adversary. America is ours to lose. Fight for it or watch it burn down. While the space between those living in the MAGAverse and the rest of us living here on planet Earth seems impossible to bridge, try to incrementally reach out to folks you care about on the other side and see just what happens. Also, watch for all the MAGA bullshit online, especially once Trump gets back on Twitter. It's going to be a toxic waste dump. Maybe do yourself a favor and just fucking leave it alone. But use the rage and anxiety you feel over the Supreme Court trying to overturn Roe and organize, volunteer, march for what you believe in. It's still our right to peacefully protest. And this may be the single most important thing you can do right now. Engage with your kids and as many millennials, Gen X's, Y's and Z's as humanly possible. They are a force to be reckoned with and what the American dream is all about. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. Oh.